women's shelter would be impacted by this particular so it just like blows your mind same thing with front funder it's like you get these questions asked by regular people who have a vested interest in a supporting your dream but also using your service in general and and how you view that product through that lens is has been exceptionally eye-opening okay matt welcome back we got another repeat guest guys uh matthew from new vote um you're episode seven bro now you're episode yeah, one one two <laughs> it feels like forever ago but uh wasn't wasn't that long yeah like uh you were you're right there from the beginning that was probably our, our third recording time recording and yeah. we we're doing batches and um yeah since then we kept in touch uh and it, you've seen some great growth with new vote and right now new vote is growing uh is um, getting a lot of attention that's why i want to bring you on and talk about it because you guys are getting a lot of buzz, but you're also experiencing a lot of growth. And it's all because of the, the turbulent time we live in, right? It's really become a catalyst for you in your industry. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that uh, that's that's what kind of spurred the growth for this particular sector. But um, yeah, I'm really uh, I'm happy to be able to provide a, a needed service during this time. But again, right, it's unfortunate the circumstances surrounding it. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're in one of those unique circumstances. Like, there's a few very, uh, like, very particular niche um, uh, industries where, before before COVID, before the pandemic, there was no real uh, change happening there. It's very glacial movements, right? Everyone's mm. kind of exploring it little by little, and then suddenly COVID, the pandemic was called. Everything was kind of shifted, and in that shift, it just highlighted all these weak cracks in our eco- in our infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? And it's really expedited the need. Uh, for the growth, so elections technology, right? Let's let's talk a little bit about that and um, and where and the state we're in right now, um, mm. right? So with elections and you know with the pandemic happening, obviously one of the biggest problems is that we, we can't have people come to the polls, right? We need to encourage some kind of like virtual uh, or even online kind of voting environment, but more than that, it, this is kind of like a like a statesman dream. Like people always talk about like you know we live in this democracy, but we're not directly involved in our democracy. Mm-hmm. If we if, we're, if we can vote more often, and more frequently, and a more in a more secure way, um, you know that also changes kind of our behavior, how we can like you know, interact with our government, mm-hmm. and how the government can get permissions from us to to do, uh, do uh, certain bigger bigger and more bolder uh, visions, right? Mm-hmm. So you know we we talked about this off air, but like uh, you know while we're catching up about the idea of like civic action, and how like like you know voting technology can inspire more um, direct access for citizens, right? Mm-hmm. So let's let's start right from there, right? So what's the state of voting right now uh, in the context of the pandemic? What are the challenges being faced? Yeah, yeah. Before I, I jump too far ahead, the point you made about um, the the more furthering the engagement aspect with, with an online system, it's it's funny you mention that because prior, you know, pre-COVID, there were two countries that were really leading the way significantly um, with online voting, and that was Estonia, which is classic. Everyone knows the Estonia story. It's uh, you know they do everything online. They're they're way, they're like uh, the future, the Star Trek of uh, civic, uh, I guess, digitization of democratic and uh, mm-hmm. governmental institutions. But the other country was uh, Switzerland. Funny enough. And the reason why Switzerland became sort of like this leader was they do uh, a sort of a pseudo direct democracy uh, themselves. So Switzerland is cantons. They're all sort of independent, but they you know have a federation at the top of it. And um, they essentially vote four times a year. So it's not just every four years. They like they have elected officials, mm. but they actually vote on on policy four times a year. So 
pre-online voting, they would simply mail out ballots or have people go in and vote. But of course, like four times a year, that's that's arduous. It's very mm -hmm. cumbersome. So they decided to kind of migrate to an online system and they've been doing it on and off for about 10, 10 12 years in a, in a pseudo sort of way. And mm -hmm. then uh, right before 2019, they were actually gearing up to do a completely federated uh, top-down approach where everyone could vote online as long as you passed a, a number of criteria. And unfortunately, the, the company that they selected to provide the service um, didn't meet the criteria, so they had to kind of pull back and, and revive uh, what their strategy was. But the point you made about increasing engagement um, and sort of being able to apply this uh, pseudo-direct democracy aspect uh, to, to voting, that's kind of where Switzerland was, you know, was headed. Now, in our context in, in North America, it doesn't really apply. You know, I think we're, we're far from years and years away from that particular yeah. thing, I guess would be a good way to put it. But um, yeah, like when COVID hit, we understood like pre, right before COVID hit, we were expecting this to be about a 10 year go to market very slow, gradual increase in adoption rate and then kind of gearing up to to do some, you know, significant uh, milestones over that time. But we were, you know, we were prepared to go the long road. COVID mm -hmm. hit. And I'll tell you, man, like March, it was just the craziest month of my entire life because, you know, there were so many elections coming up, not just in the U.S., but globally. And all of a sudden people are like, what are we going to do? It, it literally was like pulling the rug from underneath these election officials and, and saying like, okay, here, you can't have in-person voting, which has been the de facto status quo for so long. What are you going to do now? And I, I can't say exactly who was contacting us, but we had contact, like we were getting emails and phone calls from like the weirdest places imaginable asking, mm. hey, you know, we're just looking at what our options are and what's available out there. Like, uh, can you send us some information? And we were just... It, like you said, right, it really highlighted the infrastructure deficits that were present in the election systems. Mm -hmm. So now, during the, the last year, you know, we've seen significant change in this industry. The U.S. pulled their entire election together with vote by mail. Mm -hmm. uh, there was issues with it, for sure, but it, it still was like the biggest paradigm shift in elections that we've seen in hundreds of years. And now that cooler heads are sort of prevailing and they're trying to figure out what to do next, we are seeing a huge increase in um, people inquiring about online voting, like if this is going to be implemented, what are we going to do? And um, this whole industry has just become like, I want to say rapid moving, but it's like daily shifts. And that's not an understatement. I'm talking like quite literally every day I wake up and it's like, what else is going on? You know, it's just it's just insane what's happening to this industry right now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I mean, that's a lot. Uh, of, of the things moving around, right? Like mm. uh, when when we first talked, when you came on air, you, you know, you talked about this like being a dream and like how like everything is like it's like, it's, it's, like there's so many like so many players doing systemic kind of moves to like open people up and and show the kind of uh, uh, do, like you know the, the the what's capable, what's a, what we're able to do right now mm -hmm. in in this field. But since then, right, a lot of growth, a lot of movements. Um, I, I do want I do want to go back to this, right? Like. With, with the state of elections and uh, and civic engagement more mm -hmm. than ever, like Twitter recently announced that it's gonna, you know, Jack Dorsey announced that Twitter is gonna democ uh, become uh, democ uh, de sorry decentralized, mm. the management of Twitter. So I mean, ever since like you know a sitting U.S. president has been uh, been banned from platforms, platforms mm. like these large platforms are now looking at, oh damn, how can we remove the onus of us mm -hmm. on 
on a police in the digital space because it's too much liability. Like mm-hmm. entire government leaders is now involved, mm-hmm. right? So the idea of some kind of tool that's like, you know, uh, like um, co-signed by government, right? That can be utilized for citizens to like be in- involved where like advisory councils can be where like, you know, we can digitize kind of our institutions that already exist, but in a mm-hmm. more transparent and more ethereal way with more engagement and more ideas being processed. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important. Like, like sci-fi back in like the 80s and 60s, right? They always talked about human, like they never had, they had these ideas of social networks, but in a more governmental way, mm-hmm. right? Like the GovNet or like these like, these like networks that, that that's like where citizens can connect and talk about. If you look at like old school ways of thinking where the internet was grown, it was always thought of as a, as a citizen tool, mm-hmm. right? Something that you interface with, with like larger political society and, and rest of the rest of the world. But nowadays it's mostly been fixated on inter- on entertainment mm-hmm. and infotainment right um so this idea of using the technology that's been grown by by this use case you know entertainment infotainment and 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 creating uh creating content right into something that can be used more for like actual politicization like you know uplifting and changing how nations are run mm. uh, and uh, and and how citizens are involved with that i think that that's a big idea in itself right mm-hmm. because Technology, uh, technology, uh, as a, uh, as a, like, especially the internet, is naturally, um, you know, uh, decentralizing things. It's giving, you know, it's you know, it allows people to do more with less, right? Mm. So, what happens to societies when the citizens are given more control, right? Mm. I think that's one of the most interesting things to think about moving forward, right? Uh, with with uh, COVID and with all the pandemic responses, we now are much more aware of what government's doing. You know, mm. like more people are following, you know, the news and what's going on from government, right? And saying what's what's actual movements are happening. So I think this is going to breed a generation of people who's going to be more want to be more involved with what the governments are doing, and being mm. involved in the process of you know making solutions and improving the the you know where where the, you know their surroundings and uh, their societies that they they find themselves in. Mm. It's interesting that you you brought that point up because if you think about like. Um, engagement in general well on the social networks Mm. people are more engaged than ever before on like facebook or twitter or something on in politics in general but voting i've always well voting is is historically kind of seen as the most um, active form of political engagement where that's that's where people will typically connect with their government um especially you know like how many people vote in the last u.s election like what was it like 150 million people or something, almost half the U.S. population, mm-hmm. huge, huge numbers. Um, and that was still low turnout uh, compared to the overall eligible uh, voters. And so when you have this Internet connectivity that's increasing on the social channels, uh, what happens when that actually moves over to online? Right. And it's like it's it's not necessarily a partisan thing where where different groups are, are predominantly active on the Internet. It's almost unilateral. We mm-hmm. saw this with um, social networks when uh, you know Obama ran and he leveraged social media to his advantage quite significantly. Um, but then the Trump came in and leveraged it even better, and mm-hmm. that's where like a lot of like his his it, it, his absence from Twitter almost has left like a void because it's so much more quiet now. <laughs> so I find that really interesting, and um, the question that I have is like. If online voting, and this has always been the theory with it, is when it's rolled out, 
what's going to happen. Is it going to mm. increase overall voter turnout? Uh, there's all these hypotheses, but nothing's been really proven because no one really, it's never been done to any significant level before. Mm. But it's like, when it's rolled out, what happens to the citizens? Is Does it become so easy that everyone is able to connect and, and vote a little bit better? Um, or do we see sort of like the typical people who are already engaged simply having an ease of access point? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting. I've had some really deep conversations about this with different stakeholders. And um, uh, one person said, oh, you know, like uh, uh, more younger people are going to vote. That's you know, that's that's what's going to happen. And I said, look, I've seen the numbers myself. Like I've seen the actual numbers in places where online voting has been rolled out. And it's typically the older people, the same people that are going into a polling location are the same people that are coming into uh, the online services as well. Mm. It's just it's just the way things are. But again, then you see other examples where maybe there's an uptick or you know, percentage, of, you know, single digit percentage increase or something like that. But the reality is we've never rolled it out on mass before where we've actually been able to test and get verifiable data about what the result of this uh, will eventually be. So it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's 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 really cool because like you, you've clearly thought a lot about this about like how uh, you know technology shifts people and how this technology could uh, could shift people, right? So just uh, continuing on that concept, what does an ideal world look like where voting and civic engagement is is involved? Because like like I said, like olden olden day novels or olden day like ideas about the future of technology and where that leads us as a society, mm. you know was like a very uh, was a very utopian way of thinking like of, of average people being more involved with everything right? we're mm. become more evolved more smarter and more socially conscious right that mm. technology would uh, evolve us with this but um you know we're we're all uh, we all like uh, we often are found ourselves to be like technology can sometimes reveals the worst amongst us the worst of our like you know our natures right so Let's uh, you know we we talked about like civic engagement and and, and a toolkit that can better uh, you know interact allow um, citizen, citizens to like uh, interface with the government, mm. right? What what are what would like a positive feature look like with this? It's a really good question. I, since it's timely, I'll bring I'll bring this point up. Um, you know the, you've, the the GameStop stock uh, fiasco, I guess you'd call it, right? That mm. happened recently. Um, people were trying to figure out why. Why did this? What, what caused this thing? What was the big uh, move, movement behind it? And somebody said, you know, all the, all the thought leaders, Mark Cuban, et cetera, kind of jumped in and said, "This is an industry that's typically existed in the shadows, the finance industry, where it's been very difficult to understand, and it kind of just moves in the background, and no one really understands it. But due to the internet, due to the the, the, the information disclosure that's now out there, um, and the access to that information, people now are." you know, much more educated and much more engaged in general, which led to people identifying those trends, which led to people, you know, uh, coming in and, and shorting the stock or, or not shorting the stock, but um, uh, essentially, uh, what's the right term, bear market, they were bearish mm -hmm. on the stock, which increased the price. And, you know, we all know what happened. So when you have like this ideal, like, what's going to happen when people are more engaged when it's easier to get engaged in general when it's no longer you know something that just kind of happens in the peripheral like uh, uh town hall meetings for example uh, have you ever have you ever been to one in the city that in any city you've ever lived in you've ever been to a town hall meeting i've been to one um in your entire was... life yeah yeah that's my point right yeah. I, most people would say no 
right? Or, or maybe one or two or something. The percentage of people that actually go to those things, mm-hmm. where they, this, we're talking about their community, where they live, that has a direct impact on their day to day. That's, it's something they don't even, most people like aren't even aware that this even happens. But there are measures being voted on, their you know, policies being enacted right down the street from them. And they don't even, they're not even aware of it until they read it maybe in the newspaper or not, not anymore, the uh, whatever Facebook post or something like that that gets linked like, hey, did you find out your city did this? Um, it's interesting that this may be the beginning of a further engagement with the uh, different jurisdictions and their constituents. Mm. Where all of a sudden it cre- it's a, a dialogue is going to emerge where uh, people start caring a little bit more about uh, their community, uh, what they're doing, uh, how those representatives are interacting with them and, and governing. So I think this is, um, it, it could potentially be like the um, democratization of, uh, I guess, voting in itself. It's a kind of a weird concept to think about, but it's, uh, the numbers are at a municipal level, it's a little bit different at the federal one, but at the municipal level, most the people who actually go out to vote, if you hit 30%, that is seen as a huge number. So just, mm. just to think about that, in your community, most, most communities, only 30% of people in that community are deciding on like which path that community takes. Mm-hmm. So what happens when those numbers come up to 60, 70%, 80% or something? Uh, what does a community look like where more members of that community are actually taking part in the overall democracy process? Yeah. 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 Like, I think, I think, yeah, like, it's like, it's digitizing the old school, like, how things used to be, right? I think the main reason why most people don't show up at their town halls is because most of us don't even know our neighbors. You know, That's like, a good point. Yeah. you don't feel like you're part of a community. So it's not like, you know, like a community is meeting together to decide the fate of the community. It's more like somebody's deciding this. I'm just somebody who exists. I have a network mm-hmm. that's like spread out, but like I am just su- subjected to the, the, you know, the rules of this area. And mm-hmm. some mysterious force is, is putting it up and uh, somebody else is enforcing it. And I could be a victim of it or I can be in the gray, gray zone, right? A lot of people live in that gray zone, right? Um, I think one of the interesting concepts is that when you live in a nation like Canada, there's, there's actually two Canadas. One is a story of Canada, like what we all think is a, as a nation, like what are the ideal ideals that we all believe is, is a nation, you know, the colors, the anthem, all that stuff, right? Stories that we tell ourselves. Then the, the two is the, the legal Canada, right? The legal framework mm. that operates the laws and, 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 and conditions where we can inter- that we can interact and the, 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 you know, the, the framework where commerce and everything kind of moves within. It's actually two different things. So I think a lot of a uh, lot of things happen when the sto- those uh, those two different types of a nation uh, those two types of nations kind of uh, d- diverge when the story of a nation changes from the legal ad- nation that's when like large uh, discrepancies happen in 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 these groups right sorry in in um, like revolutions or like changes rapid changes can happen but uh, in our stake right everyone everyone loves the idea of the nation the story that we tell ourselves mm. but our almost like purposely left like you know unaware of the legal framework how it actually operates mm. right and i think that's the disconnect here right so for the average person they need to be understood what civic engagement is how like for that they need to understand civics mm. right like how what is the government what is the mechanisms how does that affect me how can i get involved right how do i be involved and then the reason why to be involved 
that their mm-hmm. voice matters and they can have effect change, right? So I think that's what digital can uh, potentially do by making it easier to reach people and easier to uh, contact them. And especially with now with like kids being, you know, education being changed, I think that we have an opportunity now to develop a more um, responsive and more active communities. I've thought about that, about like uh, an education play with um, with civics or something and kind of tying it into what we're doing. It's yeah. sort of like the first project that I that I rolled out uh, in 2015, which was sort of like an education uh, type uh, application. You know, make, mm-hmm. I, here's here's how elections work. Here's to understand what, what happens in them. Um, that's that's an interesting angle to take. I don't I don't have a clear answer for that one because it's like it's a bit a bit different from the focus that I've been working on right now. But yeah, um, yeah, I think they've I think historically they've always said education is you know goes hand in hand with a, um, uh, a, a, a an educated uh, voter is the ideal voter because they mm. understand what they're voting on, right? And a lot of the fear with increase in voting turnout is. Uh, what happens when you give people who aren't necessarily completely up to speed about what that what what the choices they make and how they have that effect? Um, Brexit's a good example of that, right? Um, Brexit was a very uh, I think it's I think it's in hindsight it's seen as a very reactionary vote referendum on on a policy that had huge ramifications um, that may not necessarily have the best outcome. And I, I've you know anecdotally I've, I've heard a lot of people feel cheated. Uh, by the result of Brexit, because it doesn't necessarily reflect uh, what they were told was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's you know they a particular political stance said one thing and promised all you know one thing and you know they just the the voters weren't aware of what that was going to mean. It's the same thing in um, uh, where I live. I'll use anecdotally like Kitchener as an example. Uh, I found this. I was a little bit shocked by this. But um, going back to those numbers and, and meetings, you know, 30%, 20%, those are the numbers that dictate the, the, the municipal mm. community. Uh, Kitchener doesn't have fluoride in its water. They've hmm. defluorinated the water. Now, I, I went back and I, when I found this out, I was kind of shocked. And I, I read it was like some weird vote. Like, I think it was like 15% people voted on this particular particular issue. The ramifications for defluorinating your water are everyone gets issues with their teeth you have to Mm. to compensate now because it's like scientifically it's proven that it's like fluorinating the water doesn't have necessarily long-term health effects but it does protect your teeth over time and communities that remove that from the water supply suffer these these health effects like Mm. like bad teeth cavities all this other stuff and uh it was my it was my son he got a cavity or something and like he was getting cavities and i was like like what's going on here isn't like he brushes but like why is it picking up in him anyway um, and it just kind of shows you that that particular policy, like a group of people felt really passionate that fluoride was a bad idea, went to take counsel, went through the motions, like you said, this, the civic angle, the legal framework uh, to operate in, and got it removed, got the city hmm. to essentially remove this thing. Now, I think that was like 10, almost 20 years ago. Now we're dealing with the health effects from that. But now to reverse that decision, there again is a whole framework that we need to jump through to get... Hmm. Uh, to get it put back in, if it even is possible, due to budget or whatever kind of thing. Yeah. So it's really interesting that people um, need, like you said, right, like the education and the active angle, uh, the actionable angle, sort of go hand in hand. I don't have a clear answer for that one, though. Whether or not there is a way to sort of, synth- uh, you know, synthesize those two things, maybe, maybe there's mm. a way. Yeah, because 
you know, it goes down to this, uh, this, this idea that came from the Cold War era, right? It took the analysis that if you were to run an authoritarian, like a, 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 I can't talk today, authoritarian state, like a, um, like, like the USSR, what you need is like a, uh, a, a, a strong security force, someone who can enforce your will, mm. right? But if you were to run a democracy, what you need is propaganda to make sure people believe in the same kind of things, that they don't diverge. Interesting, right? Yeah. You, right. So it's it the, the so the idea of like you need to sell people the same ideas, so they believe in the same ideas, so they don't diverge. We don't diverge in society. So when you can vote and, and interact, like you don't get caught up in like divergent things, right? Mm. So I think that's one of the interesting things happening right now in society is, is like you know mainly Facebooks, but like the social networks have allowed people to diverge by mm. able to be by by putting people into their natural social bubbles. And enforcing more uh, people to get more extreme in, in in what they follow and who they follow, and creating these bubbles, network bubbles, like people have made people more extremely uh, ionized from each other. Mm, yeah, I, I would agree. I think misinformation is definitely one of the greatest challenges democracy democracies face. But like going back to like what we're like what Nouveau's been trying to accomplish, it's like I, I misinformation like. I, that's I think that's like a huge issue that is I, I don't even know if I have an answer for that, because you go back to like, what is the truth, you know, mm. like what realistically like, you know, you have to even if you go down the rabbit hole deep enough, it's like, who is the definer of truth? Is it data? Mm. Is it statistics? Is it, um, you know, who who and then you have to figure out, are those statistics valid? What was the, you know, peer review or empirical uh, process that happened to derive that answer mm -hmm. and uh yeah it gets it, you get deep with it where you're like where is where does the truth lie between what you believe and what the rest of society believes especially when there is a huge divergence um mm -hmm. yeah i think uh i think democracy is is being tested uh as much as, you know it's funny both when we're talking about the internet voting because i think the internet itself is testing democracy's uh, stress, like it's stress testing democracy more so than anything else right now, because mm. it's before all of this, you had your community, you had your country, you had the, like you said, right, you had sort of this unified media that, uh, you know, may have their slant or whatever, but most people read the paper. That's where they got their information from. All that's, that's gone now. You can get your information from literally anywhere. Mm. And the uh, internet has kind of opened the door to the free and flowing information. Um, and may, you know, with online voting, open the door to uh, easily, you know, easily accessing the overall system of, of, of governance. But what does that mean? Like, how, how does the, how do we reconcile what the Internet can provide and what the Internet can do uh, to the people that are, are voting? So it's, it's a really unique situation. Again, I don't I don't have a I don't have an answer for, for misinformation on that one. I think I think better, better, smarter people will uh, will solve that one as best they can. Yeah, definitely. But getting back into New Vote, I mean, I mean uh, the updates uh, that you've had during this time, mm. um, you're working with some exciting partners, um, you know, even during um, like the uh, when all these lockdowns and, and, and you navigate all this stuff and, and, and deal with governments now reaching out to you. Right. You had to ha have uh, you've had all this progress. Right. So mm. I want to I want to get uh, up to date on that. So let's talk about uh, these partnerships you had and the results of them uh, since you came on. Yeah, the um, it was it was interesting because over the last year we we had an idea where we wanted to go, but mm -hmm. then we tried to like 
when COVID hit, it just became um, like what we were just talking about, like the civic, the civic stuff. We actually thought about that quite deeply. We were, we were working really strongly on, on trying to combine that stuff. Even the stuff we were just talking about misinformation. It was like all of the stuff we understood was really difficult. But when COVID hit, it became like we need to get the like the utility itself out there to, to provide a service um, and to you know, provide what we were intending to do. And um, basically, we contacted a few partners and said, hey, we understand like uh, we understand that this may be difficult, uh, but we were willing to do it and we want to bring you along for this. So I, I guess I'll kind of back up a bit because I guess how a lot of this kind of unraveled was in 2019, I traveled to Austria for a conference, an e-vote conference. It's, it's where everyone goes to, to do this, uh, talk about online voting. And a gentleman was there, his name is Dr. Benelo, Dr. Josh Benelo from Microsoft Research. And he's been working on securing election systems since 1987. He's been doing it for like forever. And uh, he doesn't like online voting, or he didn't like online voting very much. He just he didn't trust it, didn't feel it was good. But what he's produced is a cryptographic algorithm called Election Guard. It's a, a simple, simple term. It's a homomorphic encryption schema that uh, secures a vote that allows you to check against the vote later on to make sure that it was completely uninterrupted. It's, a, it's what they call end-to-end -end verifiability. So you know that that vote that was cast is the same vote that was counted. Uh, it's very sophisticated, very you know, mm. amazing product that he's done. And I like the product. I like it. I believe end to end verifiability is a really strong component to secure to secure our elections. Uh, so I had dinner with them one night and I said, look, I know you don't like online voting, but here's how we do it. We have a paper system. And because, you know, you've developed this for the American in-person paper experience, I think there is a fit there and I'd like to explore that with you. And he was kind of like, yeah, yeah, maybe or whatever. But I, he, he, he toyed with it in his head. And the next day he was presenting to the conference and he's describing the use cases for election guard. And he's like, you can use it in in-person, you can use it in, in this type of situation. And then he's like, he's like, well, you can theoretically use it for online, maybe. And kind of like looked at me and I was just like, oh my God, like mm. what a moment, you know, I got this, yeah, this yeah, yeah. significant uh, academic to at least consider it. That's all I needed. I just needed the consideration. And uh, we kind of left it there and we, we talked to Microsoft on and off for the uh, next few months. And when COVID hit, though, I reached out again and I'm like, OK, look, I know I know Josh doesn't um, necessarily like it, uh, but I, I really want to explore this right now, because if we do produce this online system, there is a need right now. I think I, I want it to be going, uh, you know, developed hand in hand with Election Guard. And so we set up some calls. Um, we were able to find find a significant development team to, to take on this task. And a few months later, we were literally scoping out the integration between Election Guard and, and the online voting system, uh, the new vote voting system. And we were, we are the first company to, to integrate that. It was a significant technological challenge because like, again, this was not built to be ran on an application. It was built for like a machine sitting in an in-person voting booth or something like that to print off a paper receipt and you kind of take that home and check later. Um, but what we've done is basically take what they've, uh, the Selection Guard SDK, integrate it into an application. So now when you cast a vote, every vote secured is you, you get a digital receipt, an Election Guard receipt that you can then check uh, later on to make sure that your vote was counted. And um, it, it was, I, I can't, I can't emphasize how good it was to have his head turned and to have this, this person 
uh, who you know typically was very skeptical of online voting and for good reason or absolutely good reason um, at least take another look and say you know what maybe it can be done and maybe I'm, I'm, ha I'm happy to see that like his product is is the one kind of uh, you know coinciding with what we're the new product that we produced there was a press release from Microsoft on December fourth uh, in 2020. And in it, they talk about uh, new uses of election guard because it's not just us that has done this. Like we are the the chief, um, you know, developer for um, the online component. But election guard has now been used in U.S. Democratic caucus in Congress. Uh, same thing in an online system. So they do their their voting. It's not the same way as a as a you know, you know secret public election, but they do it in their uh, when they're voting on a measure or policy or whatever. And uh, it's like it's interesting. Like he. He's developed this, this system that's so unique, so perfect for, for what it is, for securing and, and creating a verifiable trail between a vote and, and the verifiability component after. Mm -hmm. And uh, now it's it's in use more online than it is in the in-person experience because again, right, COVID has just created the atmosphere for these things to happen. So yeah, that was uh, that's the Microsoft story. The team, Defending Democracy team at Microsoft are absolutely amazing. I, I, I've never seen a, a, anybody uh, so passionate about securing our system. On that note, actually, on top of my head, um, when we talk about misinformation and, and sort of the propaganda, uh, propaganda, I don't know if this is a correct word, but the propaganda aspect of, of misinformation news cycle right now, um, that team, they've not just created Election Guard, they actually have created another product, uh, or I think they integrated another product called NewsGuard. Mm. trying to fight in the same thing. So those points you made earlier about misinformation and civic engagement, all that stuff, they sort of just go into like hand in hand um, with overall democracy as a whole, right? And trying to secure it uh, and make it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, all interesting points. I mean, uh, this, is, this is kind of what I love about you and what you do, right? Because you, you take the time to like find these experts and verify ideas and concepts. Um, not a lot of people, not a lot of companies have to do that or even try to do that. Um, mm -hmm. Most companies we hear about, you know, are creating some SaaS product. They put together some code, launch it out there, set up a model and then market it, raise some money, boom, and then, you know, keep going. And a lot of capital is tied up in these kind of, you know, swift moving SaaS businesses. Mm -hmm. But with what you're doing, like you're taking the time to validate, you know, go find people who are the experts in different fields and meld them together their ideas and the concept is, uh, to, uh, and making sure this thing's verified from mm. a ground-based community of people who are ingrained in this, right? You got cosigns from the academic community. You got cosigns from cybersecurity professionals. You got, you got even cosigns for people who are like skeptical of online voting to change their minds and being like, Hey, this, this thing's actually pretty valid. It's interesting. Uh, I'll be honest, man, getting, getting those people to, to agree with me is better than any, investment capital or anything because honestly like I, I appreciate your point and and i don't know how if I, I guess it's maybe a strength of mine um i will say this though there are many days where i wish i was a SaaS business throwing together some code and <laughs> and working some model man many times uh, mm -hmm. i'll be quite honest but the the reason why i kind of i've done this approach is uh, like uh, what do i know about online voting and and these these massive uh changes in our in our society that would need to occur uh to get something like this product to market yeah i you know it would be uh my own hubris if i thought that i had the answers 
to to build a system and just ship it out you know off the shelf here you go this is how we're going to do it from now on uh, i i'm a, i'm a i'm a political geek at heart I'm a, I'm a tech geek at heart so when i hear those experts talk about these these new technologies or not new technologies but technologies that have been developed in the research side or or these these interesting perspectives on how to secure uh, elections as we move forward i that, i live for that stuff i i revel in it i've seen I've, I've gone to conferences and watched people do uh, talks about completely off the wall ideas that will never be feasible in real life but that's where their mind is heading. There was one gentleman who talked about uh, hacking an election by sticking microphones underneath the table and then figuring out the sound of the marker on the paper to determine which candidate was being selected using this like off the wall like uh, algorithm or something where it, like mm -hmm. like it was just just insane. Never never happened. It will never happen. But this just this researcher had derived a way to actually statistically prove within a certain margin that you could identify a, a marking on a ballot simply by listening to these auditory cues. Uh, for most people, they would be like, I think even most people in the conference were kind of like, yeah, I'm gonna go get the coffee, you know? Mm -hmm. But I, I walked there, I watched the guy, I was like, my God, like that's a, that's a brain, that's a genius, yeah, like yeah, working yeah. away on some, yeah, the, the amount of effort he would have had to pour into this concept was just, you have to appreciate that. And um, getting into this industry, like my background, you know, cybersecurity or, or, you know, election technology in general is very limited in scope. I needed to connect with those people to get a wider view of what we were actually doing. And though I mean, there, there are people in Canada, for instance, who have spent the majority of their academic career studying this. So for me, you know, these people are typically professors. I feel like a student. Like I, I, when, I, when I converse with them, they educate me regularly. And I treat it like essentially an extension of university. You know, they tell me like what their perspective is. They, they cite, you know, they have sort of citations just like anything else. I, I eat it all up and then I pour through whatever they provided to me. Now, here's a report from 2016 talking about this. It's 200 pages or something. Well, I go read that report so I can understand exactly what they're getting into. Um, it seems kind of weird to think about like digesting all this information, but it will come up. Like all of a sudden you'll be in a meeting and somebody will will cite some kind of idea that was presented in these these reports, and if you're not up to speed with them, it's it's not like saying like uh, oh I don't know. It's it's like these are deeply technical questions about a, a, a an industry and a, a societal procedure that's existed for like hundreds of years. So like there is a a lot of work that needs to go into it to to fully get the whole scope of of how our elections are done and what those elections mean when they move forward to a digital uh, digital platform. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, lot lot to digest, man. Yeah, I love definitely. It. Like, so, I mean, this is the context of like commercializing academia, right? You can take I all would, these. Deep, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A good way to put it. Yeah. Like you take all these deep concepts and like trying to implement it in the real world solutions. Uh, that, you know that that's that's one of the interesting things of like you know feeding off of uh, institutions like universities and and deeper deep thought uh, thought leaders. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So talking about partnerships and and moving forward, right? You, you like you know you talked alluded a little bit about getting a lot of attention. Um, you know, can we talk a little bit about uh, you know what happened in in the Latin sphere? Yeah. Well. Well. well the. The first test we ever did with Nuvo when this integration with Election Guard was done. So there are there are a number of experts, but there's two chief experts in Canada, and one of them is um, Dr. Nicole Goodman. She's a mm. professor at 
university. So she, when the government of Canada wanted to, she's been researching this thing, for, like I said, for like a really like exceptionally long time. And um, when the government of Canada wanted to look into this, they commissioned her uh, or they, they, they asked her to write the report. Uh, mm -hmm. You can read it. It's online voting a path forward. Uh, it's on Canada.com. It's a great, great read if you want to get a good. Um, it's not as detailed as I'm talking about. She communicates it way, way better than I ever could. But um, yeah, so she had a poli sci class and we were talking about testing the system. It's a new system. It's a new way to, to vote online. Um, so I had the pleasure of working with her and, and, uh, and getting some feedback from her students and, and herself about like what we were doing and how we were uh, approaching this industry. That was like, again, it's it, it is a university type situation, but it was like, wow, like you've really, you know, it's like performing on stage with Drake or something like that. It's yeah, just, yeah. It's crazy, you know? I love you. I have these weird ideas of superstars in this space. Like, you know, I get yeah, really yeah. excited while talking to them. Um, but yeah, the, the, right after that occurred, we ended up going down to Brazil, Sao Paulo. Yeah. To sorry, can I bring this up? Because I did want to talk about that separately. But, um, you know, uh, now that it's up, you know, the, the idea of being tested. So this this university professor and her class, right, mm -hmm. did like a, a, a cybersecurity almost test of your product, right? Like they deployed it in a, in a closed environment. It wasn't a cybersecurity test. It was actually like a, uh, I would say a feature test. Like feature how, test. how do you, how do you, what's your, what, how do you feel like from a poli sci perspective, how do you feel about the voting process that we're doing? Like the, the verifiability component, do you feel comfortable getting, is the satisfactory rate or uh, do you feel more secure with your vote being counted now that you have a digital receipt provided? And um, it, the feedback was great. They really loved it. But also, like the students pointed out some some issues that they saw with it because it was again the first public uh, test. And I told them we had this big um, meeting where the the students presented their findings, and some of the key points that they made were exceptionally valuable to us. I told them I said you know don't feel like you're you're talking to the wind right now. I'm going to take these meetings. I have a meeting like literally the next day, and I'm going to bring these up with the with the development team. And we're going to implement these like right off the bat. And um, it was it, it was great because. You know, you get so close to a project, you kind of lose sight of what other people think about it until it's finally in the open, until you're getting those, you know, Google reviews popping up on your on your page saying, like, this is the problem with it. Um, mm -hmm. It was great to have that feedback before we went public. And, uh, yeah, no, it's a phenomenal experience. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the most pivotal moments, uh, sorry, one of the most um, foundational moments of, like, lean, fight, uh, lean startup uh, methodology, right? It's like validation. Making sure you yeah. get validation from the people who are actually using your product. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was great validation for you, right? Getting this, getting this like um, this class of like actual professionals uh, being being trained on to think about political science and civic engagement, testing yeah. it out. Cool. So uh, you get this validation. Um, I, I know there's a, like uh, I think uh, Manjula wrote like, an article, got an article out about you guys. Oh, CBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. She talked. She was looking into um, online voting in general. So it's really funny. Like that that came about because they they talked to all. I think they talked to three different vendors, and we were the third one. And if you listen to the, it was an, uh, a radio piece, and they're talking about. I think it was titled "Are We Ready for Online Voting?" Mm -hmm. So they're talking, and they're like. Uh, first two vendors were coming on and talking about it. I, I can't remember what they said. And then there, there was myself, and I'm like, "Yeah, you got to use the paper ballot, though. Don't, don't do anything but the paper ballot." It's the same thing I say. I feel like a broken record sometimes. And uh, right after they had um, one of Canada's critics come on, like an academic critic, and he, he said, "You got to do it with a paper ballot." Like, no, he didn't say it with a paper ballot. He didn't say online voting. He was just like, "I only trust paper ballots in my life." Nice. Or something. And I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, like 
it's that's where again right that particular gentleman particularly we built the system based on his research so for him to say like he's not agreeing with us he's not he's not endorsing what we're doing it's it's i'm endorsing his perspective mm. he was the one who kind of led me down that path and i simply developed a system based on his objections to the overall problems that we faced in online voting you needed to have a paper ballot so it's uh it's interesting how you know my messaging is has kind of tailored into what they've been saying all along and then going into what happened in the us it's it's crazy to see but the, like the us election was quite literally saved by a paper ballot i i said this to someone else earlier today if the us system was an online system as we understand it now where it's just you go on a web page and you vote online trump would have had every every legitimate reason to object to their election results and they would have no way to conduct an audit not a single way it would have gone it would have gone to a supreme court challenge and it, it would have been very interesting to see what would have happened because there is no there's no audit trail so for him to say i don't trust this even for myself i don't i'm not saying anything about election interference or uh, manipulation by machines or anything like that i'm just saying if they had used a typical online voting system where it's a it's a web page it goes to a server and the server spits out a result and somebody said i don't trust that i'll tell i would agree with them i would be like okay yeah uh, we need to go in a little bit deeper and figure out what happened because there is literally no way to figure out what actually happened with with an online voting system without an audit trail hmm. it's that simple and and when the us was was challenged as it was in georgia for example where it really came down to that state that the whole fate of the united states rested on this one uh, election they they conducted it with the the machines they did pardon me an initial check with the machines they did a second check to, with the machines and then they did a hand count individual hand count of every paper ballot over 5 million ballots using thousands of poll workers it was yeah. quite literally to, to to see that level of of so can you take us on like a, a journey of what a citizen or what a person would do to vote uh, using new vote like they go go to like you know how would they how would initiate and how would uh, how would it like paint a picture picture for us yeah it's really easy you just you you vote on the app uh you confirm your selections on a screen to yeah. to make sure that those are accurate um once you go to cast your ballot those 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 ballot those selections sorry are let's encrypted. sorry just slowing that down so you mentioned paper ballots right these paper yeah. ballots uh, uh would be mailed out to your house you pick them up like uh, how do the paper ballots get involved Oh yeah, so uh, the application sits, you know, where a user is, where at their home or or what have you, um, and then there's a in a community center or a secure location, there's a remote ballot marking device. So essentially, a printer somewhere that's that's sitting there and has a HD camera attached to it with a little microcomputer. So it's a voting machine, but it's sitting, it's it's internet connected, but it's only one way internet connected. So when the voter votes, they they do everything on their application. at the time of when they're going to cast their ballot the ballot is encrypted sent over the network uh and and immediately connected to that machine and it's it's a video feed just like you and I are talking right now just a video feed they see the printer print off the, the ballot it stops and they can see their ballot uh as they they mm. cast it they can check their selections go over it they can you know make sure that everything is accurate 
And then once they're happy with their result and the ballot has been accurately cast, they sit uh, confirm and that's it. The vote's over. They receive a little tracking code. They can go back after the election's concluded and uh, confirm that their ballot was accurately counted. So it's like four steps, super easy. So what um, you're basically doing is cutting the time of, or uh, the need for someone to go to a voting booth and just precisely. manually fill it out. Yeah, uh, but like everything else is still in place. So it's still paper ballots. So as, as, a, as, a, as a person who's voting, you would open up the app on your phone, um, you know, uh, do some kind of, you know, put input your information, verify. Uh, mm. I think uh, from what you showed me earlier, uh, you took a picture of your ID, right? And then afterwards, you took a picture of yourself, or like you you show up on video, and it's a video of verification, just like just like accessing your phone nowadays using facial recognition. It's mm. you know matching that goes together, verifies who you, you know, do some KYC, uh, AML, make sure you are who you are, and puts you in. And once you in. Just like you see a paper ballot, you see the different options for uh, what you're voting on, right? And you make make your selections, mm. press submit, and then you get like a web link to the camera that's in the printer of the nearby voting uh, voting station, and you can see your ballot print with your information on it and what the selections you made are on. Yeah, it's it's pretty much like that, except um, uh, we don't use facial recognition. We do an a, we do a KYC ML, but it's not recognition. Okay. So I, I have to always I have to always make sure that that's communicated. It's like face ID. We do so the service we use um, is is a liveness detection check. So it's not recognition though because you know that is hyper can you know controversial right now. But it's it we use the face as a method to to reconcile both um, who the person is uh, in association with their ID, um, but then also that they're operating the phone in real time. We don't have to do that. Like we have a number of different authentication methods, but that's one we prefer because it does. It, it, it works. It works really well, and it does. It does the best job of confirming who someone is. But uh, yeah, they just. It all happens on the app. It takes like literally seconds. They they get connected to the machine. They see their ballot print off. They go, oh, okay, that's that's exactly as I intended it. They hit confirm. Votes over. They get a tracking code, and it's it's all in all. It takes. We have a we have a demo where we slowly move through it, and I think that demo's two minutes tops where that's how long it would take to vote remotely with with confirming everything your information and then actually casting your ballot mm. beautiful process i love it i said one time that uh you could vote uh i was in an interview and i said so easy you could vote in the bathroom or on the toilet or something <laughs> I said, you know i just kind of threw it out there but then i was like actually i don't i don't think i want yeah. to support that idea <laughs> that's a little too visual for yeah me. yeah i know i had to walk that one back but um so uh, speaking of like um, the security behind this, right? So if if there is meant to be a penetration of this as a system, not only would you have to like falsely identify the person the, the, who's making the vote, you'd have to go get to get past that security, uh, ver uh, you know, the verification system. And once a vote is made, or like it's a, a, it's it's even it's, um, you know uh, it's interjected there, like the person is still verifying, like you know, so there's somebody who's watching the, the feed, make sure the printer's printing the right 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 ticket. Right. Yeah, the the voter is so we don't the channel we use like the video channel it's end to end encrypted as well so it's like we don't even see what's going on inside that we can't tell who a voter is voting for or like what that paper ballot looks like inside yeah. of it um, so there's no one like monitoring it that's that's another like security feature but um, the uh, the voter is so the voter is actually the one monitoring it so if anything does happen they can flag an issue and. Um, I, it's funny. I had a, I had a conversation with a with an engineer 
um, a former CEO. He's a, a, like an actual engineer himself, uh, electrical engineer. So he has a pretty good grasp of how this stuff works from like a like encryption and, and infrastructure level. And he was like, oh, like what if the what if the video feed is fake? That's the only thing I can really think of that would uh, attack mm. this thing. But I, I mentioned how I won't say it here, but we have a method for for confirming the video feed as authentic. And he was like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. And, and it just it's like essentially it's a method to provide the voter with assurance that what yeah. they're seeing is actually what they're doing. So it's it's a very very unique uh, implementation in in cybersecurity. It's called the clash attack, where mm. you intercept a video feed or an audio feed or something, feed a fake feed back to a, a voter or a user, and manipulate them to think that they're seeing something. It's like a deep fake uh, pseudo kind of thing, right? Um, but there are methods to kind of secure that. It would be like uh, for you and I, like how do I know I'm talking to you right now? You know. Uh, and there are cues that I can derive. I could ask you a personal question that you give me a response that can, you know, validates my concerns that are not validates my concerns, but uh, communicates to me that I know you're Ravi. I know I'm talking to you in real time and I'm not talking to a, a video feed of Ravi uh, asking me questions from like two days ago or something like that, you know. So there's lots of different ways to approach that. But it's interesting in the era of deep fakes that is the video real? has become something that we need to kind of look at but you know it's in, it's definitely something we do hmm. yeah uh, so that's that's a, an extra added layer of security um so you know you have this now uh, solve this problem of like okay not having to go to the voting booth to make sure it's secured um you got all these experts validating it for you you got this validation from uh this this university who actually did an active test for you and, and you get a call right to go uh, to, uh, to go into latin america Brazil, yeah, that Brazil. was uh, that was fun. Yeah, they uh, they don't uh, they don't mess around. Three days they put the submission out, and we had three days to respond. So I didn't get the message the first day. I got it the second day, uh, and and somebody said, hey, they they have this thing. If you want to go, you have to contact them right now and and sit and submit a proposal. And we had literally 24 hours. So I was like, oh okay. So again, so in this industry, sometimes you have to pull all nighters to get uh, proposals in. You know, there are mm. strict deadlines. And we stayed up all night writing the proposal. I got it sent off, and then uh, we were selected. I had a phone call with um, the government, uh, with the representative from the election uh, official in Brazil. Don't speak Portuguese at all. I do. I think I think I know five words now. But uh, we had somebody on the the call to help us translate, and we were able to to go in. Luckily, the gentleman I was speaking with, his English was was quite good, and he was um, uh, he understood what we were talking about quite well. Yeah, and then they said, okay, you have 30 days to develop a Brazilian voting system and uh, showcase it down in Sao Paulo. So that was seven days, you know, seven day sprints, uh, nonstop with the dev team, getting everything ready, changing all the language into Portuguese. Um, it, and not only that too, but just like the how they vote down there is very unique. So Brazil is actually really interesting because Brazil has done everything electronic. Like mm -hmm. they, uh, they do uh, electronic voting on the machines since like, I want to say 1996 or something. That, funny enough, actually, they don't trust paper in Brazil because in Brazil, taking a ballot box and replacing it with fake ballots is actually something that could potentially happen. Like that's just the reality of, of Brazil. Um, and you have to kind of build with that in mind. So for them, the verifiability component, having the ability to encrypt your vote and then track it after was something that they were really interested in, in, in seeing. We tried to talk to them about paper, but they simply said, like, no, nah, it's just it's not going to work for us. 
So we were like, well, okay, we have we have it if you if you want it, but like we understand your predicament. And um, yeah, we went down to Brazil. Uh, was not unsatisfied with going down there in November from Canada. Um, well, you know, the snow's on the ground up here. City is beautiful. Brazil is an amazing place. And um, working working with their election officials at, at demoing this, again, right? I couldn't ask for a better better milestone. Going from you know Canada's top top uh, thought leader in, in online voting to a country level was within like 30 days was exciting to say the least. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a lot of excitement there because Brazil is the world's third largest democracy. That's right. Two, yeah. It's 270 million people. Yeah. Right. It, it's also one of the top 10, uh, uh, what's it, uh, um, uh, economies in the world. Yeah. There's a lot of movement happening in Brazil. Brazil is rapidly changing, it's rapidly industrializing, uh, and you know. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about uh, about how that came to be, right? So, uh, like how the, how this uh, contact with Brazil happened? They, they just call you up one day and they're like, "Hey, we need voting systems," right? How does the contact happen? So Brazil, um, they they're actually they have a really interesting thought process when it comes to modernization. So like Sao Paulo, for instance, is like one of the it's like third biggest city in North America. It's huge. It's like a metro it's, it's metropolis, like bigger than New York, I think. Um, and it's it's so advanced there. It's one of those places where like you, you, you don't you don't go to the store, for example, you order everything, any, any anything and everything. And, and it's like delivered to your house within minutes. Like COVID has had a significant impact on the city. But it hasn't stopped the the commerce of the city from happening at all because everything is digital. Like they don't have Uber Eats there. They have they have Uber Eats, but they have Uber like a pack of cigarettes from the store, literally. Right? Like I need a bottle of water. You just literally two seconds later, somebody's driving up on a scooter delivering it to you. It's crazy to see. So hypermodernization is very familiar to Brazil. Um, cell phones are very um, endemic there. It's very um, it, it's a unique it's a very unique country. And they had this experiment they wanted to run, well, like a, a demo for, for elections called the future of elections. It, I think it was a little bit different in Portuguese, but they basically, they, they feel that their, their election systems could use an update. And they had some controversial political stuff going on over the last uh, you know decade or so. So they want to, they have a very unique governmental structure in Brazil. Um, because of the military dicta uh, dictatorship that happened there. So uh, the election system uh, or the election officials, or the, I guess I, it's called the Tribunal, uh, Superior Tribunal of Justice or Elections or something, but it's part or under the umbrella of the Justice Department for Brazil. So they see uh, essentially uh, elections as, a, as a, under the umbrella of justice as a whole um, to represent you know, the people of Brazil. So it's it, it really interesting how they're really future-proofing their elections, even way ahead of the curve. Like the U.S. went to vote by mail for their elections. Brazil was like, you know, we're, we're not even going to touch vote by mail. Let's just, just take that leap right to, to online and see what's available out there. So they had a number of vendors go down and, and, and demo. We were the only ones that were doing it our particular way. Every there, there were some, there were some interesting stuff. IBM did a blockchain play. It was okay if anyone from IBM is watching it no offense it was okay people were great don't get me wrong but I didn't really it wasn't a showstopper or anything and uh, 
we don't really agree with blockchain voting in general, to be honest with you. We think there's a number of issues with it. Um, some companies really just kind of threw something together last minute and we're just trying to capitalize on it. But we were, there were a few companies that really went down there with a substantial offering. Um, and we're, we're trying to actually, you know, make it happen down there. Um, we were one of those companies for sure. So it was, uh, we worked hand in hand with Microsoft on that opportunity. So it was, it was great. Um, I couldn't have asked the, the gentleman who was my host down there it was fantastic. And um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting to see how people were receiving um, this particular technology in Brazil. Um, for one, Brazil has a exceptionally wide uh, inequality gap between yeah. the rich and the poor. So it's, it's like people who were high income were coming down to vote on it, but then people who quite literally are just unfamiliar with technology in general and, and had to kind of be like handheld through the process were also using it. So it was really interesting to see how, you know, they were engaging with it and, and using the service. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, that's that's also one of the issues too, right? Like the people who get left behind um, in any kind of system, you know, the system doesn't represent them because they're not involved with the system, um, right? So to kind of wrap up, um, you you had a lot of advancements uh, during this time, you know, a lot of attention, a lot of validation, um, and, and a lot of people reach out to you. Uh, what's what's next for you? Like, what what is it? What is twenty twenty one bring to bring new vote? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a good question. I think my perspective anyway, and I, 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 this is, I think, how a lot of election officials are feeling. Uh, unfortunately, you know, COVID, uh, we are facing the issue that like, you know, it, this may not be something that just kind of disappears in a few months at this point. Uh, and we do need to prepare in advance for that. So we do have elections coming up in a few years from now, uh, 2022 and 2023, uh, both in Canada and the U.S. Um, what do we do? You know, what, what realistically, what do we do? Like you mentioned the, the stuff in Brazil, they have an election coming up uh, in two years. They're already getting prepared for it because, you know, for them, uh, a burden on their health care is, is way more significant than it would be for Canada and the U.S. Uh, they, their infrastructure needs are much greater in, in that those countries uh, than they are here. So uh, what we're seeing is people are starting to pay attention and get prepared. Um, and think about this, like really carefully about what this means to roll it out. This isn't like a, 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 a COVID play where it's like, hey, you know, we're all going to go online voting for, for COVID. And then when it's done, we're going to go back to, the, you know, the way things were. Um, people are considering this as a shift uh, in, in how we operate. Um, Implementing. What does it mean? Like those questions you were posing early on in the conversation. What does this mean now for democracy? What does it mean for civic engagement? What does it mean for society in general when all of a sudden uh, engaging and voting on measures is as simple as you know, you know, voting on your phone or something like that now? So uh, we we've seen a lot of interest. I think I will say, I, I, in my opinion, I think there's a good chance um, provinces, a few states, and and maybe a, a couple federal governments are gonna. Uh, be implementing online voting uh, very soon, like at a high level. Um, and then I think, you know, from that, it's just going to, it's it's trends, you know, uh, other countries are going to kind of follow, follow suit and, and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be really exciting to see, right? Uh, definitely a modernization of, uh, of an older system. But mm -hmm. um, uh, one thing I also want to do is like uh, also uh, give light to the fact that you're working with some great partners. 
right? Mm-hmm. You talk a bit about the university partners and the academics uh, that helped out. There's a lot of commercial partners helping out as well. You know, you, you know, you mentioned uh, Microsoft and their help. Uh, you know, working closely with them and their team. Um, Xerox, you know, with the printers, right? Being oh, yeah, I forgot to throw them in there. Sorry, Xerox. Xerox has been phenomenal. Yeah, we're using Xerox printers just from the security play too. Absolutely yeah. great. Absolutely great. Uh, great company. It's been a pleasure to work with them as well. We're really trying to bring an enterprise solution. But it's it's not just that. The we're, we're again, right? For something like this, we're trying to fill in the gaps as much as we can. So it's like uh, Xerox, Microsoft. We we're working with another company on like the civic stuff and, and exploring that angle as well. Um, even how we're raising capital, right? Like we we started talking to uh, a company called Front Funder for crowdfunding. And a lot of people were like, oh, you know what, you know, crowdfunding, like, what are you, what are you doing with that? But uh, we felt, especially considering we're a sort of like a public facing company, even though we're not like a public company, um, we kind of worked with them because we felt that, you know, a portion of the capital we are raising should be uh, derived from just regular people. And we also wanted to engage with regular people and get their feedback as to what we're doing. You know, it's one thing to pitch to an investor. It's another to actually pitch to, to somebody who has a vested stake uh, in using your service down the road. Um, and the experience has been really great. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a really interesting experience going through that uh, the crowdfunding uh, portal. Absolutely. And one of the things that I'm really excited about FrontFunder and your campaign with them, I, I know FrontFunder pretty well. Uh, Will Tang is a is an old friend. Uh, I just had a call with them today to catch mm-hmm. up. Um, you know, uh, Will. When I actually started Bluemax, I actually met with Will to get to actually consult with him on how I should move forward and how we can help companies together. He's really an insightful person. And for him mm. to be behind FrontFounder, to me, just spoke volumes to what his uh, his vision is and how he's implemented through FrontFounder, mm. right? What I li- love about FrontFounder is that it allows the democratization of uh, of of the of the equity play, right? Of people mm. who can now fund and be part of companies. When you're an angel, like angel investing, like early stage startup investing, the people who really invest in this, they are not investing in a company per se. They're investing not on like financials or like projections. They're investing the future that, mm. that the company is building, right? What is the problem the company is building and what is the solution and what, what can the future be with mm. this solution in the market, right? Um, so a lot of people like before, you know, before a front founder, before a crowd equity raising, Generally, you want the only angels who can put in like 30000 dollars $50,000 above. They have to be accredited investors. You know, have a certain net worth. So mm. it kind of limits a company from one who can support them, who can grow, who can um, who can fund them, and also limits people who actually want to help companies and who are experiencing pain points. So as a front mm. founder, like you can put in a micro sum and support things you care about. And what I'm hoping here is, and I've seen, like, you know, I've seen your campaign, you know, it's been running for a few days now and organically out of organic reach, people have been coming out, seeing your vision, seeing, uh, seeing your information and, uh, and saying, Hey, this is the kind of feature I want to buy into, mm-hmm. right? One where I can vote more efficiently and clearly, but everyone also can too. Right. Um, I, I made this comment about it on, uh, on, 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 um, about you guys on, um, uh, LinkedIn, right. When I say, I'm like, how do you save democracy? Right. Mm. You digitize it, uh, and you make it more, you know, more efficient, more ethereal, more, uh, more transparent. And uh, so, kudos to you. Using FrontFounder makes you more transparent. It allows people to democratize and, and support you in a, in, a, in a more holistic way, right? Mm. How's that? How's that experience been for you? 
with Spotify. It's it's interesting because it, it's a very strict process to get spun up there. It's no joke. Like there's a lot of regulatory compliance you have to go through to even use the service in general. It is a new way to kind of get engaged with it. Um, you know, we 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 kept it pretty. We we leave it kind of just running. It's so it's 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 a good way to sort of leave uh, raising capital without having to, to daily engage. Um, but it is a it is like a full time job in and of itself. I think generally all capital raising is. My favorite part about Front Funder is though the random people, just the random people, not angels, not VCs, not typical institutional investors, people who are just interested in what you're doing, mm. asking you questions. So yeah. the other day I got I had a gentleman reach out to me from Front Funder on LinkedIn. And he said, "Hey, like, uh, uh, I'm interested. I want to. I have some concerns. I have some questions. I wanted. I want to talk to you about it." Um, and I, he sent me like three or four messages. He just identified his his questions and they wanted a, a direct answer. So I got back to him. I said, "Here, you know, here, here, here's the response. It was big, you know, chunk posts on on LinkedIn messaging." And he got back to me the next morning. He's like, "That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Like, it's like it was. It was like." how how where how do you plan on taking this uh and like what how does it how do you uh, plan on rolling this this product out across these different communities and i i answered him i'm like here here's the vision like here's here's a just from right from the ceo's mouth here you know and this isn't like why did you price your your service in this way or whatever like it's it's just so candid like Hey, there's a community here I, I heard about. Uh, how would you go in and do this community? How would you go in and create the service for this community? And I'm like, here's how I would do it. Here, like, here's here. I, I considered it for a few hours and, and spit out a strategy to him. And he's like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear because he lives in that community. That's what he wants to do. It's what he wants to get engaged in. And so it was really unique to have just this a question you would never hear in a in a board meeting or a VC meeting or something like that where. They're probing all your business acumen. This was just generally like um, a completely new way of thinking about how how you as a CEO thinks about your business. So mm. it's it's really interesting um, to get that sort of feedback, like direct feedback. It goes back to that thing I did with Nicole's class. It wasn't a public uh, penetration test by some uh, agency or something like that. It was poli sci students, people that are going to challenge the the methodology, the thought process of your of your product. Um, asking you questions. I remember I talked to Nicole after I, I, we did a Q&A and I, I, I swear to God, I've never been more nervous coming out of a of a session, a Q&A session than I did her class because I was no, it, I was not expecting the questions they asked. It was completely, it took you completely off guard. Yeah. It was like you have a pre, you know, presupposition of what you think is going to be asked and it's like, you know, talking to you or talking to someone who's a little bit familiar with technology. You get to a meeting with a you know, cryptographer, they're going to be like, you know what? What are you using? How are you doing this? Right? You get into a class with a bunch of poli sci students. It's like, mm -hmm. how does your app support marginalized communities? And you're like, whoa, great question. You know, uh, here's here's what I think. And then they'll retort back with their perspective. And all of a sudden, you're like, uh, I never thought about how you know p uh, women voting from a, a woman's shelter would be impacted by this particular. So it just like blows your mind. Same thing with front. A woman's shelter would be impacted by this particular. So it just like blows your mind. Same thing with front funder. It's like you get these questions asked by regular people who have a vested interest in a supporting your dream, but also using your service in general. And and how you view that product through that lens is is been exceptionally eye opening. Yeah, and I love that so much because like it's like real people asking real questions and supporting you for it. You know, I seen your campaign. I think as of today. 
uh, you've raised about uh, forty-five thousand uh, dollars from the, from that campaign, front funder mm-hmm. campaign, and a lot of these people are putting in five hundred dollars, two thousand dollars towards it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, uh, to close this up, like from from episode seven when you came on and you first talked about how you uh, thought about this idea. You know, being in middle school, being at uh, at a party, mm-hmm. and all these all these people were like, you know, voting by phone for uh, America's uh, was it America's t- top talent. American, American Idol. Idol. American, American Idol. Idol. Show, right? Showing my age there, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like, I remember those days, like, you know, technically that was the first time anyone did like, any kind of online voting, right? You're, you're texting in live on air and people getting voted in. And it was a very engaging kind of uh, kind of experience. And mm-hmm. you were talking about how you thought it was like, hey, these people are so engaged. If only we made voting like this, like mm-hmm. more instantaneous, more direct, and made it so easy that you can just participate very quickly with very little energy more people will be involved, right? And from mm. that, from middle school, you initial thinking about it, digesting in you, getting better, bigger and bigger until now you're working on it. And to this day now, episode uh, 112, mm. you're here right now with all these updates working on this. And that's quite a journey, you know? And what I'm really excited about is being mm. part of this and seeing how much more you progress this. Yeah, no, thank you very much, Ravi. It's been amazing. I know we've kept in touch uh, a little bit over the last, what, year and a half or so, whatever. But uh, yeah, man, I, I, it, going back a year ago, I, I, it's, it's weird being like, I don't even, I wouldn't recognize the person that I was dealing with a year ago. You know, I was uh, wondering how we were ever going to get this thing done. You know, incremental, like you said at the beginning, incremental steps. Now I'm like, I, I, I can't, I can't even, it's not even exact. I literally wake up every day. And I'm just like, okay, what's going to happen now? Like, what's like, literally, what's going to happen now? And I'll, without fail, something during the day, whether it's, uh, and it's like seven days a week, nonstop. Like the last two weekends, uh, for example, Saturday and Sunday, literally got phone calls and been like, hey, this is going on right now. We got to get, and I'm just, oh, okay, okay, good. And it's, there's no rest. There is literally no rest in this particular thing right now. Um, I do feel immensely blessed for that, though, too. Yeah. You know, a lot of industries have been really impacted uh, by COVID. Um, we're working our, our we're working as hard as we can to produce a, a valuable service that society, I guess, is kind of open of a need for right now. But at the same time, hell, man. Yeah, it's uh, tech during COVID, man. It's, it's breakneck speed. The good thing is we're all stuck at home. Can't do much except for work anyway. So, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, it's yeah. I think I think we'll do an update in about a year from now, and uh, I I hope that the update is like, oh man, I downloaded your app. We're uh, we're I just registered to vote on New Vote or something like that. Yeah, I, I would put a, I would put a good amount of money that that's probably what's going to happen. To be honest with you, I'm looking forward to that, man. I'm I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. That'll be really cool to see, uh, really cool to engage with. Uh, wish you all the best and thank you again, it's guys. Pleasure, episode, Ravi. Yeah, episode uh, 112. See you, man. Peace, man. Have a good day.